All right, let's go right back at it. Welcome to the Life in Red podcast. Lifeinredpodcast.com, at Life in Red podcast on Facebook and Instagram, and Life in Red pod on Twitter. My guest today, this was a really cool conversation. And I know with the pandemic, um, especially talking about small businesses, we, we often talk about how restaurants have been struggling. So uh, my guest actually is involved in um, the restaurant business here in Ottawa. And we talk about you know, how they've been struggling and adapting to the pandemic and, and the lack of support that they, they get, but from the government at least, but the support that they do get from local customers. Uh, and we get into a whole bunch of other things, you know, her journey in food, um, some of her travels, and uh, we also talk about her YouTube channel, which is called Scrap Cooking, and this whole idea about getting recipes and uh, just using scraps uh, and stuff that you'd normally throw out and creating a delicious meal out of it. And it's really cool. You can check it out on YouTube. It's uh, it's called Scrap Cooking. Um, and you can find her around Ottawa with some great stuff. Uh, she's the executive local chef at a restaurant here in Ottawa called Das Lokal. Please give it up for my guest, Harriet Clooney. Take the red pill, you stay in Wonderland, and I show you how deep the rabbit hole goes. And here we go. Harriet, thank you so much for joining me. Uh, it's my absolute pleasure. Um, I've always wanted to have a chef on because, you know, food, who doesn't love food? Um, and you do so many amazing things. And I can't wait to get into that. But my first kind of question for you is, you know, being in the restaurant industry, I mean, how are things going for you and uh, for it? I know it's not good, but I'd love to hear your perspective on it. Absolutely. Well, it's been uh, really, really hard and really scary and kind of like a roller coaster that doesn't end. <laughs> yeah. Uh, it's been lots of ups and downs and, uh, it's just, you know, as a small business, we kind of didn't get the help that we needed when we needed it. So now we're all kind of scrambling and now there are some subsidies and things that have been now accessible to everybody, but we're also kind of playing catch up and, for unfortunately for some businesses it was too little too late and they've already closed and for a lot of us we're kind of just grasping at straws at the moment and it's a particularly tough time because November December is usually when restaurants make their money to get through the winter because we're doing Christmas parties and caterings and and things like that or offering things uh, like some restaurants make lots of tortillas and things like that and so this is the time of year where we, you know, we're crazy busy, we're, you know, bringing joy to people and celebrating uh, holidays and uh, vacations and things like that. But uh, this year it's pretty, pretty grim. <laughs> uh, I mean, we're making the best we can, of course, always moving forward with a positive attitude, but it's still, uh, there's some stark, um, some stark realities that we're contending with, you know, um, safety being paramount. So I, I do not begrudge any of the restrictions at all myself. However, 
uh, the reality is that only being able to have four people at a table uh, and and trying to tell our guests who want to come in with a party of six that you know we would love to have you but Ontario law right now states that we can only have four people to a table and so there's a lot of challenges with this time of year and and all of the pivoting and scrambling to try to get things um, new programs in place like that's where I found a lot of my energy is going to trying to think of new revenue streams so making I started making some frozen things so I made some tortillas but I also made some spatzel mac and cheese and some cabbage rolls and we're a friend of mine made me some charcuterie boards so we're gonna you know be able to sell some charcuterie but you get to keep the board kind of thing mm -hmm. and uh we have a bunch of like erdinger mugs or um like some ceramic and some glass so we're gonna try to do like a little uh, beer pack with the mugs like we're really just trying to find all the little things that we can in order to make it through this season um and so that's and then trying to just get those things off the ground like logistics and staffing and is it going to work you don't really know so try so it's been really really tough i mean uh if there's one thing that i know about the industry is that we're probably one of the most resilient bunch <laughs> out there however i feel like i've been tested to my limits and i've already owned and uh sold restaurants so i already I've been through that pain but this is this is something different and it's really been really really hard and a lot of it too is that you know from the public like they understand only a fraction of how difficult it's been and um, for the most part they've been lovely and understanding but you definitely kind of come up against some some clients or uh, or just people in general who just don't quite understand the restrictions we're under, the health guidelines we're under, that it's not what I would like to do. <laughs> you know, we're in the we're in the hospitality business. It's usually our job to make you comfortable and find out how to make you happy. But with with all the restrictions, it's been like, well no, it's actually not it's not us. <laughs> mm -hmm. uh, and for public safety we need to do X, Y, and Z. And so we've definitely had some backlash in terms of clients not getting what they wanted so that's also been a bit tough on the morale of staff yeah you brought up some amazing points like you know from someone who's totally outside the industry you don't really think that you're right christmas holidays like the christmas parties all those bookings like that is a ginormous amount of revenue that you know didn't think but i i think everybody when we talk about restrictions and hurting business restaurants are always kind of the ones top of mind where people are like oh yeah like because i mean correct me if i'm wrong but i'm pretty like the profit margins are pretty small i guess for restaurants if, if i'm very you know, small yeah so <laughs> like you know rely on the volume of, of sales when you have reduced capacity and uh you know all these different things that i can see how that hurts but just to, to quickly ducktail off of that Sure. You're you're from Ottawa, um, so you know a lot of people in Ottawa listen as well as the world. But where where can cool. people kind of figure out um, and get some of these things you were just talking about? Like, is there 
like websites? Sure. So I'm the executive chef of uh, of Das Lokal, which okay. is uh, 190 Dalhousie in the market. So we're not in the Bayard market. We're just sort of down Dalhousie at the far end, closer to Sussex. And uh, we've got a, it's a really lovely little bistro. It's sort of Northern European German inspired bistro. So nothing is like authentic, authentic. I myself, am not German, <laughs> but I like to take inspiration from, uh, from our friends in Northern Europe and, and, and the types of food that they have. Uh, schnitzel, spitzle, gruwein, um, and, and play with them a little bit. I use sort of uh, farm to table as much as possible. Uh, a little bit harder in the winter, but but still doable. And I still have lots of farmer friends that I use. And um, and I'm also the chef of the Danish embassy. Mm. <laughs> I love so Amsterdam, so. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, that's in, uh, that's. Uh, oh, Denmark. The, the... <laughs> There we go. My geography's way off. Copenhagen. <laughs> yes. Right. <laughs> yeah. Um, so when they have events, I'll, I'll cater them at the, at the residence. And then I am also the host of uh, Scrap Cooking, which is a little uh, YouTube show that was picked mm -hmm. up by Rogers uh, in Ottawa uh, that focuses on teaching people how to use the scraps of their vegetables or their meat that they might otherwise throw in the compost and teach them how to make delicious things out of them. Mm. Um, I am curious. So when it comes to restaurants, I think, I mean, even more so in, in March and April, but I would say even recently, you know, there was a large increase of people using Uber Eats or Skip the Dishes, these kind of delivery services. And then it mm -hmm. started to come out that it's like, it's, I mean, it's not the worst thing, but it's probably not the best thing just because there's a huge kind of profit margin that they take. Um, oh, it's totally insane. Yeah. Can you so, explain that a little bit? Just because, you know, you see it on Twitter, but I mean. Yeah. So, so the way that those companies work, so they're a third party app. And so what they do is charge you a commission. Like if you're the client and you order, say, a burger and fries. Um, they're going to charge me 30% of that amount of money in order to make the delivery to you, but they're also going to charge you a delivery fee. <laughs> and, uh, and there's always, there's a, there's a service fee as well, usually. So, you know, they're very convenient and I totally get them and, and really what they stand for is they're really more of like a marketing tool uh, because in sort of the old school way to do food costing it 30% is your profit margin. So basically you make no money off of using skip the dishes or Uber eats because they take your profit margin. Now in the beginning, Uber eats wouldn't let you increase your menu prices, but that has changed. So you can kind of make up the difference a little bit now. Um, by raising your price on the platform. So it would have two different prices. One, if you picked it up at the restaurant and one, if you ordered Uber Eats. Um, so that's made it a little bit better. It's been really hard because like I am not someone who likes to use third party apps. So I've, we sort of helped found something at the beginning of the pandemic that was more local called Love Local Delivery. 
uh, wasn't meant to be a long-term thing. So it eventually didn't work out in the to to be a business that is sustainable. Like it was really just to help get us through when, at the time when we thought it would be two weeks or a month. Mm. But um, or I'm definitely always looking at different alternatives to them because I do find it really gougy, <laughs> profiteering. Mm. Um, the fees that they charge people is pretty outrageous. And, right. and you know, so and in the end, you're not helping the restaurant all that much because they're not really making any money. They're just sort of covering their bases. Right. It's kind of like you hope they try it and then like it. And then, you know, maybe they'll come back and, I mean, and it's exactly. sit down. So it's kind of a way to reach a, a, a new clientele that you might not have been able to reach through traditional channels or your own social media. Mm. So really what it ends up being is sort of like an advertising. Right. Um, um, you know, I don't want to spend it all on doom and gloom here. So uh, I'd, lo- <laughs> I'd love to hear, you know, how did you fall into this, this line of work, this love of food? Um, you know, everyone loves food, but to make it your career, what, what prompted you to do that? Well, I, both my parents are amazing cooks. I, I was an allergy kid, so I was allergic to everything. So we made oh. food at home all the time. And, uh, but it didn't even occur to me until I started dating, dating a restaurant manager who loved to cook at home. So he's sort of like, uh, you know, when your parents are cooking food, you're like, yeah, it's good, but it's food. It's just nourishment. And he kind of like opened my eyes to the, like the joy and the creativity and the presentation and the smells and the, the real, um, beauty of it. And then I kind of went, oh, right, I think I should do that. And then I told my friends and they were like, well, yeah, that makes sense. And I went, oh, what do you mean? (laughs) They went, well, you make food, you talk about food, it's part of your life. And it didn't even occur to me. So I went to school for it. I was also the host, hostess. My first restaurant job was at the Black Tomato. RIP mm-hmm. <laughs> as a hostess and they didn't have a dishwasher uh, on during the week. So I went, I would do the dishes. And so I, a friend of mine was in the kitchen as a cook. And so I would ask him a million questions about, uh, about what he was doing. And so the two of those things kind of combined sort of sparked, uh, sparked the idea to go to school for it, which I did. So I went to Algonquin and graduated in 07. Have you ever seen the movie Waiting? Mm-hmm. How, how close is the restaurant business to that movie? Uh, depends on where you work. All oh, right. Okay. Uh, in some instances, very, very accurate. In other instances, is like, like the bane of your existence. So people think that, you know, it's like torture to your soul that that's how some restaurants operate. Right. You know, it's, but there, it, there's lots of shenanigans that happen in restaurants. <laughs> uh, famously, it's usually uh, not necessarily towards customers, but towards each other. Mm. <laughs> so if you're a rookie, there's lots of, uh, lots of uh, hazing where we'll ask you to go next door to the neighboring restaurant and get a bag of steam 
or the banana peeler or the corona delimer or the bacon stretcher all of which do not exist <laughs> i was gonna say that <laughs> the delimer i was like oh that's interesting i've never heard of that <laughs> <laughs> yeah so they're all things that don't exist so you send them and there's lots of fun stories of many restaurants being in on whatever the joke is so they just say oh we just lent it to so-and-so's restaurant so they send the Send the poor kid on the on a wild goose chase. <laughs> it's a, ever since I saw that movie, I was like, oh, I'm never going to be a mean to a server ever. I don't want that to happen to me. Um, well, I mean, to be honest with you, I think that if everybody did uh, at least one shift, if not a mm. week in a restaurant, we'd be a real way nicer world. Yeah, I've heard so many horror stories from from my server friends, whether it's from management or from uh, customers, just how ridiculous it is in some cases. I mean, you often do get nice, lovely customers as well. Absolutely, I've lived through it, both both customers and management. You know, it's, yeah. the, it's the old school business and it needs to be changed and it's, it's on its way. Right. My hope is that the pandemic has shed a lot of light on some of the, some of the systemic problems about restaurants and um, and educated the public a little bit about how they actually work because most people think restaurants are rolling in money and really we're always struggling um, and don't quite understand how how much it costs to run a restaurant and why and then um, but even just some of the behaviors in restaurants are really old they've kind of gotten a little bit of a pass for some reason as to, you know, some sexual misconduct or um, labor laws or, you know, so I, th I personally think the whole system needs an overhaul um, to make it fair for everybody. It was, you know, it was built on exploitive labor, labor right. you know, and the tipping system is exploitive. Um, the wages that, people are getting paid in the kitchen is exploitive. Um, the hours you're supposed to work without overtime or, um, or breaks is exploitive. And then the whole thing was built on it. Like, mm -hmm. so I kind of feel like it's got to come down a little bit, but I'm, I'm hopeful that in the, once the dust settles a little bit, there might be a little bit of, uh, of room for, for positive change and progressive change within the industry, at least within restaurants that want to. There's lots of us um, that want to make it better. Um, I just think we might need to collaborate. Mm. <laughs> We've all been doing it in our own silos. Right. Is it? Do you think it's possible um, to kind of reform at least that pay structure? That's always the big one. Again, that everyone kind of talks about is the tipping system and you know, always tip your server, but then there's kind of like older generations. It's like, I'm not tipping if it's bad service, like, you know, all those types of things. And, and I know there's a little bit of an argument of, well, if we had to pay them, like our employees more without this tipping, then food would go up and then no one would come out because it's too expensive. Like, is, are, at least in your opinion, is there a way to make that kind of work? Yep, I do. I've given it a lot of thought. Um, I don't think North America is ready for a no tipping system. Mm. Um, it's, 
you know, it was the tipping system was created in North America, and it um, was. And people really see in North America really seem to like the control they have over the service, over the food. If mm. I if so, they like that aspect of if it's not good, I cannot tip. And I think actually removing that from the equation um, will hurt the industry more than it will help, even though I don't necessarily agree with tipping as a whole. I think trying to get everybody to change is too much. So they have tried it in New York City and several other uh, cities in the US trying to do what's called service included, which is a no tipping system, but the you see it on the menu, so it's reflected in the menu. Mm. Uh, but that means that the menu price is a lot more, so you kind of get this like, other negative thing where you've got this sticker shock right when you get there so then mm -hmm. there seems to be a, a strange psychology of of it you know well now my 40 dollar plate or my 30 dollar plate costing 40 dollars my 40 dollar plate costing 50 dollars well it better be good it's 50 dollars right so so for me i don't think that system works but what i perceive as the more fair system and and i've actually implemented it a little bit at das lokal is part of me is to make the tipping distribution more fair because what ends up happening is that servers get paid less per hour than minimum wage which not everybody knows that but mm. so in ontario they get paid 12 10 or 12 20 i believe um whereas now the minimum wage just regular minimum wage is 1425 um so then they work for tips and that tip covers their minimum wage and then the kitchen gets paid a little bit more per hour depending on their skill level and depending on what kitchen you're in um, but it's not nearly as much as it should be but then the front of house tips the back of house just like a percentage usually of the food sales that then gets divided out to the kitchen as a whole. So one server is maybe giving like $50 to the kitchen, but that $50 is now getting split between five people. So what I am advocating for is, uh, is I don't think servers should be paid less than minimum wage, period. And that the tips are more evenly distributed distributed between the front of house and back of house. Hmm. Um, so what we've done at Das Lokal is that the servers start at fourteen twenty five, just like anybody else. And if they have more experience, they're paid more per hour. And then um, when it comes to the tips, we do it on a per shift basis, and fifty percent stays in the front of the house and is divided between the servers that work in the front of the house and then 50% is given to the back of the house and then divided that way. So usually there's like um, more people in the back of the house than the front of the house. Um, it depends on the restaurant. Sometimes it's the other way around. Um, but I think that way you kind of get a little bit 
more fair distribution of the money, whereas everybody kind of walks with roughly the same amount, depending on how much they worked. Instead of it being, I worked three hours, I make $300, I give you $20 to share between five people. Right. Seems fair. I mean, I see where you're going with that. A lot of math involved with food, which I never would have would have thought, but <laughs> it makes sense. Um, here's, a, here's something that I've always kind of wanted to know. A lot of people think they're decent cooks. They're good cooks. You know, like you said, your parents are good cooks, but like, I mean, there's a difference between being a good cook and, and a chef. So I'm, I'm curious, you know, how do you like come up with these recipes? Most of us can kind of cook through a recipe and, and follow the directions and there you go, we have it. We, we have what this person intended us to have. Whereas like, you know, as a chef, you're totally creating these new dishes, adding your own ingredients, figuring out the kind of the balancing act. <laughs> How do you go about that process? Because it, it, to me, it's fascinating when you come out with this like beautiful dish of, of food. Well, everybody, it's like, it's like being, it's like any artist. A lot of it is mm-hmm. learning fundamentals of your craft. A lot of it is experience and and what you have learned and from who. A lot of it is just working within the industry and a lot of it is time um, and your own background. So, but I mean, like, you know, learning music, you, the more music theory, you know, the more um, different paths you can go down uh, in order to do it. And it's not to say that you have to have the theory. Some people are just naturally inclined to do it, but it does help. So, so when I'm making a menu, I am often thinking of, you know, what is the desired texture and flavors that I'm going for? And what are things that have those textures and flavors and do those things go together? And, um, how can I combine them and is there a better way to do it? And, or sometimes it's just, what do I have in the fridge? And then how do I combine those flavors together? Because knowing the fundamentals of flavor profiles and, and texture and cooking methods um, that I can kind of create something all together, but it's sort of a culmination of, of years of training, really Mm. (laughs) formally or informally or just on the job. Right. I'm like, it always, you know, me, I like to cook with garlic powder and uh, chili powder. I'm just like, yeah, this is good. Gives a little bit of kick. What? I'm, I, so I know your restaurant, you said like Das Lokal is more like Northern European. Um, I, what kind of like cuisine around the world kind of like inspire you mostly like when you're maybe doing your own cooking i don't even know maybe you're a chef and you're like i cook at work oh i love food from all around the world okay i i uh i love for for me i really love sort of south american mexican and then sort of southeast asian food Mm. if i'm cooking for myself or uh, just those flavor profiles. Like I have had uh, the good fortune to go and travel to Vietnam to visit a friend of mine who used to work with me, uh, who opened a Bao restaurant uh, in Hanoi called Bao Wow, and uh, hang out with him in Hanoi. And 
um, that was incredible, my trip. And then I also had another friend who used to work with me that has a restaurant in Mexico City, and I got to go and hang out with him in Mexico City, and uh, we went to Oaxaca. And um, But just like those types of flavors, I love hot sauce. Like I mm. love chilies, I love spicy, I love uh, curry, I love all sorts of like really punchy in your face flavors. Um, so for me, that that's what excites me in terms of an eater. <laughs> what was the experience like in Vietnam uh, cooking? Like I know we have Vietnam restaurants here, um, pho and and you know from Chelly. What was it like cooking there? And I asked this because I remember watching a documentary on uh, it was called Rats, and they went to Vietnam and they were cooking rats. And you know, of course, everyone's going to think that's gross, but in, in North America, at least, we're like, oh, what's going on there? But like, what, what's like the food like r- really there? And what was the experience learning how to cook uh, over there like? Oh, it was amazing. The food is incredible. It's so flavorful. It's so fresh. Um, they, I mean, it depends on where you are in Vietnam. So I spent the majority of my time in Hanoi and they've got a dish that I loved called Bun Cha just like uh, vermicelli and uh, charcoal grilled pork and this little broth, but the broth comes on the side with like leaves, basil and all sorts of stuff that you kind of rip into your broth and then you dip the noodles into the broth. It was delicious. But, um, you know, it was, all the little stalls, like it's the street food that's incredible. Uh, I had an amazing home cooked meal by uh, Long's mom, which was incredible. Um, but it's really, you know, I, ha- I had such a great time there. It was uh, vibrant. It's, uh, it doesn't get super cold, super, super cold. It's colder than you think it was, but it was maybe like 10 degrees. Um, but in, in Hanoi, at least. And uh, so there's lots of open air markets and um, it's just like, it's just a noisy, beautiful bunch of people and (laughs) just, just busy. Like it's a, it's a kind of chaos that I found really cool. Right. There's a, I had a friend who went there and um, told the story of this like fruit it smells like dead people or something. And I, uh, I remember trying it here with a couple of friends and like, it was actually okay, but like, it tasted more like onion, but like the smell was so bad. And she said that it's- Oh, it's durian. Durian, yes. She's like, you yes. can just smell that everywhere with the street food, uh, at least where she was. <laughs> yeah, it depends on where you are for sure. Yeah, durian is sort of throughout Asia. It's a very fragrant fruit mm. and not to everybody's taste. Um, there is a pretty hilarious uh, little video collage of cats being introduced to durian and having adverse reactions, and it's very hilarious. Oh, <laughs> go check that out. <laughs> yeah, the, the fruit itself is kind of custard-like. Uh, you can kind of make it, like, it's a huge fruit, and it, like, it's spiky, so, like, and it grows super tall, so they have these nets to catch them. They're very, I find it super cool. But yeah, it's not it's not for everybody, Durian. <laughs> yeah, no, it was it, it was interesting, but yeah, it smelled so bad. Um, 
you have a YouTube channel and uh, I, I'd love to know where this idea of scrap cooking, um, this YouTube channel is called scrap cooking, but this, the, the idea behind it, like, was this like a light bulb moment for you or is this kind of years of just in the, the restaurant? You're just like, I, I got to find something on to do or imp- implement this. Ah, it's definitely years in the making. I've always been very environmentally conscious. I've always been uh, very um, waste conscious. And um, well, I'm not, nobody is perfect. And, you know, and I'm much better at the restaurant with uh, waste than I am in my own house. It's definitely been long, long time in the making. Being in restaurants and seeing things that I knew could be used for something and not understanding why it would just go in the garbage and being like, okay, well, maybe I'll just save these and then I'll make something with them. And so it sort of ended up being years and years of doing that. And uh, so I've kind of had all these little ideas and tricks for using stems of things or the leaves of things that you use the roots for or um, things like that or uh, bones or meat scraps or things where I just see things go in the, in the compost and be like, no. (laughs) Um, So I kind of took it on myself before I was a chef while I was just a cook to kind of like collect them and do something with it. And, uh, And then I really, really enjoyed the kind of challenge of that. Like, okay, well, what, can I do with that? Can I do something with this? And um, and then as I became a chef and had was in charge of my own kitchens, I was able to control what went into the garbage or the compost or what didn't. So I sort of ended up implementing a lot of like, okay, nothing goes in the garbage unless I say so. <laughs> More specifically at Beechwood, um, the restaurant that I owned and then eventually closed but uh but yeah so then I would kind of I had a little bit of time to and control over you know okay well now I've got all these stems of this like is there something I can do with it and then okay what if I did this well okay well that didn't really work so what about this and then just trying to to find creative ways and some of that is research um the internet is full of good useful tips as to how to use whatever scrap you're looking for. And some of it is trial and error and read something here and implement it and then make my own decisions, that kind of thing. So I've kind of, and I've had this idea of sharing that, you know, accumulated knowledge with people. I just didn't know what kind of medium it was. I didn't know if it was a book or a blog or a blog or whatever. I had a chance meeting, uh, working meeting with uh, JF Bader Bay. Um, I helped them do uh, a video for Mayor Potts Pants. And uh, I sort of floated the idea by him because we seem to work really well together. And he was like, oh, that's a really cool idea. Uh, when we're not so busy, I would love to be a part of that project. And then this was last December. And then you know, January, February went by and then we had a pandemic (laughs) and I sort of said, I was like, Oh, maybe we should, uh, 
maybe now would be a really good time to to do this project and he he agreed and so we we started doing it and uh been going pretty well and then we actually got picked up by rogers so sundays at 8 30 on uh channel 22 in ottawa or uh rogers tv.com at 8 30 on sundays um you can you can watch the show or scrap cooking on youtube so we've been releasing a new episode every week mm-hmm. and it's been really, really fun. Totally different medium. I'm not used to, uh, to being on screen, but, um, hopefully picking it up. <laughs> well, you do it quite naturally. I never would have known you didn't have like, you know, too much, ex- no experience or anything. And yeah, it is like a lot different. Um, my background's in radio and it's one thing to do a podcast where, you know, I'm talking to somebody, it's easy to go off each other, but when you're like, just by yourself talking to a camera and you're like trying to like explain something it just it's a weird dynamic everyone's like oh i could probably do it but then you get in front you're like oh yeah this is weird (laughs) (laughs) yes well i am glad that i'm not by myself i do have uh, jf with me to guide me a little bit (laughs) when we talk about food waste how much would a typical restaurant you know, waste and food, throw in the garbage. You see in the movies, the Hollywood, I mean, how many times, you know, like the, the home, more homeless are going in through the trash bins at the, behind the New York restaurant to get dinner and, and all that. Like how much, is that a big problem, do you think? So it depends on where you are. I would say, uh, yes, there's lots of waste in restaurants. It's not necessarily like full, um, like it's not like plates of food it's like that's just like the scraps of what's left over by the client um but it would be you know maybe not managing their waste very well like uh managing first in and first outs and and things like that and uh things spoiling you'd have a little bit more of a problem with i'd say actually the bigger culprit is grocery stores um Mm. in terms of uh, waste, but there's definitely lots of waste in restaurants, um, and it can go down. And on an environmental aspect, um, you know, one thing I would love to see change in the in the progressive restaurant vision I have <laughs> is that restaurants compost more. Uh, the problem being that uh, for regular folks it's part of your taxes so your garbage and compost gets taken away for business we've got to pay for it Mm -hmm. so you pay for garbage you pay for recycling you pay for compost they're all separate like they're within the same contract but they're all separate pickups they need a different truck they go to a different place so it's quite costly to to compost and so a lot of restaurants don't recycle and they don't compost and that has always Mm -hmm. broken my heart um there's lots of amazing Rest, progressive restaurants they exist 100% but the majority don't recycle don't uh, don't compost and really at the end of the day like when you send your food scraps to the landfill they actually turn into methane gas because they're not in the conditions to compost back to the earth and that's actually something I didn't even know until a couple years ago uh, you know you think it's going to the garbage it's of the earth it will go back to the earth right it's sort of your mentality but uh, the reality of it is that there aren't the conditions they are in at 
in the landfill that uh, allow the food to break down. It needs heat, it needs air, it needs oxygen and, uh, and time and some microbial enzymes that happen to happen to be there. But uh, in a landfill, it's, it's really that there's a lack of oxygen. Um, so it doesn't have the oxygen it needs, so it actually just breaks down and turns into methane gas. Right. So I think if we were able to compost more and, you know, people composting at home, 100% awesome. But I think what we need is a more industrial level, be it starting with small places like restaurants and cafes and moving up and towards bigger industrial things. I think we would um, do a lot of good there. This is an off the cuff idea as you were talking, so might be dumb, but humor me for a little bit. Um, would like would there not be a way to like create some sort of system where like like you said these restaurants cafes like kind of compost and like they they maybe they own a farm or they work in partnership with this farm to like use the compost because I know I had an agricultural expert and farms have a huge issue with the soil because they monocrop and they just steal all the nutrients like to like work in tandem so you like you grow your own food kind of with this farm partnership which would save you money and then you're using your compost for that. Like, is that like a, a system that could exist theoretically? It can and it does. Uh, okay. There are programs with farms uh, that, that, that do exist. There's one in Ottawa with, uh, with Mariposa Farms that's um, not necessarily to be composted, but actually to be pig food. So it's, but it also requires you needing to sort. So you're not going to, feed the pig pig right so uh those kinds of things so right. so there's also some um and things that you would also put in uh like an industrial garbage are different than what you would put in something that's going into a farm so you're not going to put paper towels and like there's certain like um harder things like bones or things would be harder to compost in a in a uh just one that you're doing on the farm instead of having the the industrial composting where they've got the controlled heat and the enzymes and the air going through it. So that they're so it I think on a small scale, hundred percent totally doable uh, partnerships with uh, one restaurant, five restaurants, ten restaurants, and a farm. Um, but I think on a on an industrial level, I think that's where we could see a lot of uh, a, a big shift. Um, but I believe that would require a lot of political will and incentivizations, which I'm really hoping come down the pipeline as we, uh, our climate crisis starts uh, becoming at the forefront of our policies. Yeah, that's, I mean, there's, that's the, there's two kind of competing things there with, with restaurants. We have the, like we talked about off the top with the, the pandemic and how are we going to create a system on the other side of this where we can help restaurants thrive and catch up and, and, you know, make it that they, that they can survive. Right. Because right now, like you said, everyone's playing catch up if they're even able to survive at all. And then we have that climate part as well, where we're going to have to do, we're have to do really kind of progressive and uh, I don't know what the word, I want to say intense. It's not the word I'm looking for. But drastic. Yeah. Drastic. Just very like, and direct programs where we really can start to make an impact on, on the climate and what we're doing. Um, 
so you're right this the the pandemic is kind of like this perfect kind of start fresh if we we can but trying to get like political will on that like they're just uh, it's going to be a challenge for sure absolutely but it is political will that is going to be what does it be it on a municipal level provincial or federal level um be it on a global level it could be international too but uh you know there's a lot to be said for some mandated um, incentives. Like if you're using uh, one one thing with com compostable containers, even is that there's no like standard, um, and everybody's uh, municipal composter will take some and not all of them, and there's no way for them to tell whether that one's going to work. So a lot of them don't make it to the don't actually get composted. So it's kind of like a all for naught, which is entirely frustrating. But um, but there's definitely, you know, if there was, you know, political will to say, okay, all compost facilities need to be able to do, need to be able to compost these types of containers, maybe set up a body to, um, to, uh, be like a certification be like this is green friendly so it can go in the bin so it's able to uh um be uh sorted better um at the facility perhaps if there's an incentive uh municipal incentive that if you compost you get a tax rebate and if you use these kinds of containers you get a tax rebate then more people will want to will be using those containers and they are expensive and prohibitively so um, to some businesses so maybe there is uh, some kind of rebate for buying them perhaps now that there's all of these people buying these green containers the economies of scale kick in and there's more uh, production of them which makes the price go down so there's some things I think that it's sort of, but industry on its own isn't going to do it because if it was, it would have already done it. Excuse me. I can tell you put a lot of, like you put a lot of thought into all this. I like that. Like <laughs> I can tell the passion and you know, all the insight. <laughs> Excuse me. Um, do you think this idea of scrap cooking, could that, you know, would there be a demand for that in, in restaurants, like, I think when I think of restaurants, people always want this like fine dining experience. Are, like, are you able to, to do that with, with scrap cooking? Or like, would you be re relying more on like environmentally conscious people to sustain that? No, it's both. So in old, old school kitchens, brigade kitchens in France, uh, one of the most important people in the kitchen was the garde manger. Nowadays, garde manger just means the person who works the cold side, does your salads and your cold apps. But back in the day uh, uh, in France, the, the garde manger was the person who, it means the keeper of the pantry. Mm. And that person who was the keeper of the pantry was in charge of using all the scraps to make something delicious. And that's where you get a lot of your pâtés from and your um, lots of your soups and lots of things like that. So it's it really is a very important function within the restaurant that I actually think we've lost a little bit. We sort of lost that, uh, that, um, that creative aspect of, of 
finding what you have and making something something delicious out of it. And I want to bring that back. I want to bring that back to restaurants, but I, I want to bring that to the consumer at home because we're also kind of behind the rest of the world in that way. We're a bit, uh, we've been fairly privileged in terms of what we've been told is the, is the best part and that the best part is the only thing we want to eat, but that is not what makes things delicious. What makes things delicious is how you cook it and how you treat it and what you do with it. So most of the rest of the world uses every little piece of whatever they have and find a way to make it delicious and amazing. And some of those really famous dishes from around the world are just that. They're scraps that people have used, you know, a lot of the, a lot of it came from poverty. A lot of it came from slavery. A lot of it came from just uh, not 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 ha only having what you had and trying to make it, trying to feed yourself and your family and make it taste as good as you can in the process. So I really think we've lost that art and I want to bring it back to people's consciousness. I want people to start thinking about their food differently. I don't want them to say the only part of the cauliflower I eat are the florets and everything else is garbage. The whole plant is edible. You know, you can eat the core, you can eat the leaves, you can eat the stems of the leaves, and you can make stuff with them. And I think by changing um, consumer behavior and people just like just shifting their perspective, even just just a millimeter, will get people to kind of go, oh, what what can I do with this? And and by doing that, especially in a time of food insecurity, which the pandemic has shone a huge light on. Um, that you know not only are you using the whole plant but you're also saving a little bit of money you're also saving the planet a little bit you're also using a creative part of your brain you hadn't possibly known that you had mm -hmm. and uh and just being a little bit more engaged with your food it's my, my whole life i've been a very aesthetic eater like if a vegetable doesn't look good i would kind of be like Ooh, i'm not i'm not eating that little baby carrot it looks funny but funny enough and i don't know how you feel about hunting or, or wild game but i was watching a show called meat eater on netflix over this pandemic and the way they explained how they use the whole animal whether it's the liver the heart he was eating the fat behind the eyes i was like it gave me like you said it gave me a new perspective on food on on kind of this food sustainability idea of you know using every part of the animal and that you can make it delicious and even if it's not super great i mean like a liver i'm not a big fan of liver but how nutrient dense it is and, and how much you can get from it i'm like oh, do you like pad i've never really had it like i think i've nibbled well, at it but like... <laughs> so that's the challenge for me as a chef and to me that is the mark of a great chef mm. is that if i can get you to eat something that you deem disgusting <laughs> or un inedible and get you to go oh my god that was one of the best things i've ever eaten or wow what's in that um that is the mark of a great chef because you are taking something that someone else would throw away and discard and and turning it into uh, you know transforming it into something else. And that that is one of my great passions. That is definitely the inspiration behind scrap cooking. It's how I like to uh, 
like to hope that I live my life in terms of, so it's using the whole animal. It's a way to use, it's a way to honor the animal, the animal that gave its life or the whole plant. Um, and I just really want more people to just be conscious of it. It's hard to do. I'm not mm-hmm. saying it's, it's, you know, you, what you lose in convenience you pay for in time, like, you know, so anything that's super cheap, um, in terms of vegetables or meat, you need to make up for an amount of time that you're putting to make it delicious. So you can buy things that are, you know, ready made and what you save in time, you spend in money. It's sort of, there's this spectrum of it's time or money. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So if you don't have one, you have the other and if you don't have either, that's, you know, hard, but, uh, trying to find balance there. Mm-hmm. Before I let you go, I, I want to ask this question. We, we started with how tough a time, uh, you know, restaurants are having right now. And we've talked a lot about food and, and the business and everything. We have some good news. Vaccines are, you know, being rolled out in the UK. We're supposed to get them soon in Canada. So we're almost there, but we're not quite there. And it, it's still going to be some, some struggle in terms of keeping businesses viable and, and going. So I'd, I'd like to end on, as like a, me as a consumer, how can I best help restaurants bridge this gap until we kind of get back to some sort of normalcy and more capacity in these restaurants? What are some things we can do to really help out our local restaurants? The best thing that you can do is order f- directly from your restaurant and go pick it up um, and bring it to your house. Um, that way you're avoiding the charges to the delivery company via Uber Eats. Now I still use Uber Eats and skip the dishes and stuff. Like I get it. Like I'm not railing against them in terms of the convenience. They're convenient, totally. That's why they're popular. Um, but if you can. Uh, if you have the means to go pick it up, pick it up, but call the restaurant directly because then they keep all of the money. Um, if you feel comfortable dining in a restaurant, inside a restaurant, please go dine in a restaurant. If you don't feel comfortable, pick it up. If you don't feel comfortable picking it up, get it delivered. That's fine too. Some restaurants have in-house delivery, like Das Local. I'm not using Skip or Uber, so I'm they often have me, myself, deliver it. <laughs> Um, and, um, just buy local as much as you can right now. Try to, try to support any local maker, be it for Christmas gifts, um, for, um, for dining out, for wine, lots of restaurants are doing bottle shops and, um, you know, there's all sorts of just support local as much as possible, but, and, and we really need it and we need your support. We need to know that you want us to survive. Um, and if you can try to avoid going to the chains cause they're going to weather the storm, but everybody else is kind of out on a limb, <laughs> but uh, we really appreciate everybody's support that we've gotten so far for mm. sure. It's been great. We just need to, uh, Basically, if we can all make it through the winter time, 
when we're slow and we don't have the funding that we have made November, December, usually from our Christmas parties to get us through January, February, and March. Um, if we can make it through through the end of March, I think we'll be okay. Well, I think there's a charcuterie board with Ryan's name on it from Dosso Cal coming up in the near future because that sounded delicious. <laughs> um, but I, I can't think of a lot of better times than being out with my friends at restaurants for drinks and a nice meal. Like, uh, I'm with you. Like, we, I'm on that boat. Like, I want restaurants to survive and especially local because that's where you get the real, like, you know, someone like you who puts their heart and soul into every single dish and every menu item and, and makes it special. Um, you know, so it, it's really important for me too. So I'm really happy to have you on and, and share that with people. If people want to know more about, you know, scrap cooking or your restaurants, yourself, where can they follow you and, and get more information? Sure. Yeah. So um, my, on Facebook, I'm Chef Harriet Clooney. On Instagram, I'm Harriet.Clooney. Scrap cooking. Uh, hold on. I know I have so many Instagram <laughs> handles for all right, the well, accounts. Yeah, <laughs> I've got like two dead ones and one that is real so i just want to make sure that i say the right one <laughs> so it's for for the restaurant the instagram is das local kitchen bar all one um and then scrap cooking is scrap cooking scrap cooking tv on instagram um and it's Scrap cooking on YouTube, and then you can also watch the show. It live streams on RogersTV.com at 8:30 on Sundays, and it's also on Rogers 22 if you happen to have cable, which none of my friends do. <laughs> <laughs> um, so 8:30 at night or 8:30 in the morning? 8:30 p.m. Per p.m. Perfect. So beautiful Sunday night family watch get some good food ideas i love it yeah uh, it's fun harriet thank you so much for this this was a, re a real treat not to use a restaurant term but uh, i really appreciate it and all the best <laughs> in the future oh well thank you so much it was such a pleasure coming on your show and i wish you an amazing 2021 and to hell with 2020 <laughs> i hear you thank you <laughs> take care okay Take the red pill, you stay in Wonderland, and I show you how deep the rabbit hole goes.